Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want to hear more about the things that we're doing, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. podcast another gospel all right yeah i'm excited you did matthew and now it's really your favorite it is the gospel of mark <laughs> of all of the gospels mark's favorite gospel is the gospel of mark i love that um it's probably not a huge surprise people say that he they would talk about his writing as mark and yeah so i'm, I'm really wanting to bring that into my own life <laughs> His uh, his ability to bring cars back from the dead is Markin. <laughs> That's a Markin quote if I've ever heard one. His family is very Markin. All right, are we off track? Get out, get off Almerian. track. Almerian, <laughs> So, <laughs> all right. So as we we did last time, you know, with these gospels, we're just going to walk through a couple of things. We're not, you know, trying to be all encompassing here because. This is also another gospel that we're going to preach on our six-year calendar yes. plan that we have. So we have Matthew and Mark both in the hopper over the next you know, four or five years. We'll hit each one of these in different ways because we've already done John pretty extensively. Yep. And then we did Luke Acts. Yep. Much to, uh, you know, I gave a, a two, a one, a two-year, and a four-year plan, and Pastor Larry would not do the four-year plan and then complained about how fast we were moving through the two-year plan repeatedly. It was like you couldn't please him. I can't please him. I've tried <laughs> since I was a high schooler to please. No, I'm just kidding. So, Mark, uh, who you know, who did he write it to? What do you think? Well, he's writing to the, the Romans, a, a Gentile crowd, and uh, that comes out, you know, certainly through the way he addresses it. I mean, we've got the uniqueness of, you know, Luke has his very specific audience, and, yeah. and we have more of a, a Roman feel here. Yeah, and it's you're right to say it's it's very Roman, very Gentile. It it feels like it's not written to Jews at all. That's not to say that they wouldn't have benefited from it. Sure, but whereas Matthew has a lot of Jewish influence, and John, I don't think John would make sense if you didn't have some background in Judaism, right? I mean, right. Because you're starting with the word, in the beginning was the word. That whole thing doesn't really make sense if you're not tied to the Old Testament. But Mark, you know, it starts right off the bat. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as written in the prophet Isaiah. And it's a da-da-da-da. And then it's immediately, 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 immediately. Yeah. Uh, and it just has this sort of high action. It's like basically the action movie of the gospels. Hits all the high points you know, very little controversy, just boom, 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 boom. And you leave it and you go, whoa, this Jesus guy is amazing. Yeah, he skips over some things too, you know, that, you know, no account of of the birth of Christ or anything like that. And uh, then you've got, you know, no sermon on the mount or sermon on the plane, you know. So there, it definitely has his own style. Yeah, for sure. So what are you thinking for a key verse? Yeah, this wasn't just a tough one. I, you know, I spent a little time kind of digging for a key verse here. And I think, because like we said in the last one, Matthew's seems to be driving to the Great Commission. That one makes sense. Mm -hmm. When we get to John and Luke, there's clearly a key verse. 
with this one, I, I thought maybe Mark 1, 15, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's pretty good. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, with Mark, he, he does spend a lot of time, Jesus does, asking for repentance, asking for people yeah. to believe. So I thought this sort of in, encompassed the rest of the book really well. But I thought it was interesting that it's so far in the front of the book. Yeah. I mean, we could make a, a case for chapter 8, 31, uh, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things mm-hmm. and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes to be killed and after three days rise again. Mm-hmm. And you get kind of a similar feel in, in chapter 10. In verse 33, it says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Again, that, yeah. that same theme of, hey, here's what's going to happen. But then even jump a few verses later, uh, 45, and maybe this would be a contender for a key verse as well. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah. What a great verse. And, and there is that servant feel of Christ totally. in, this, in this book more than other, others, and you, and you get uh, you know, the image of that, and that seems to keep coming forward throughout the book. Yeah, and I like 1045 a lot. It's, it's a good one, and I think it, it even fits back to that beginning, uh, you know, this idea of repent and believe. Why would you repent and believe? Well, he is the Son of Man who came to serve, and since he's a servant— Trust him. Give him your, you know, give him your heart. Give him your your life, and and let him lead you. So it's good. It's interesting. Some of the discussion about the timing of which books were written, and in and even Mark kind of almost not being valued as much early on, but mm-hmm. then coming to the idea, some you know, there's some thought that this is the earliest one written, and feeds off the other ones. I know there's all different uh, schools of thought on that, but it's interesting. It's a huge debate because. You, you start asking the question, how did these things get written down? Some of the individuals that are writing are not learned men. It, you know, and you even had that in Acts. It says th- these are not learned men. How are they yeah. speaking all these languages in Acts 2? Unschooled and ordinary. Yeah, it, which I praise the Lord, you know, being unschooled and ordinary. I'm, I'm all for that, even though I'm very schooled at this point. But here's what school has done. At least you're ordinary. <laughs> Thank you. You know, really although, you know, that. I don't know that that's a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah be careful what adjective you throw my way. You uh, could take that as a compliment. See, I, I would like to. Uh, <laughs> the fact is, though, that the further I've gone in education, the more I've realized I don't know anything. You know, so it's ironic that these guys are, uh, you know, unschooled and ordinary men, and they, they're, they're so audacious to say, here's what's happening, you need to trust this. But you look at this and you go, okay, What's happening with the writing of the Gospels? You've got stories about Jesus that are clearly being shared amongst his believers in a consistent manner. And they're saying, these are the big ones. These are important. Jesus has told us this. Jesus mentioned these verses. You know, I've often had people ask me, why do they quote Isaiah or why do they quote this? I think Jesus quoted these verses over and over and over and over again with them. And they were like, these were obviously important. Let's make sure we get these in here. And so you've got these, all these stories about Jesus gathered, and then you've got somebody that's got to take them and make them make sense. And so, you know, some people have the opinion that Matthew was first. I hold the opinion that Mark was first and that Matthew and Luke both used a little bit of Mark and then some other sources yeah. to sort of pull their things together. And you might say, well, wait, 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 Matthew was there. Well, he's one of the sources. So, I'm, right. you know, like I'm not saying that Matthew's pulling from 
other stuff written down. I'm saying, no, I was there. Let me give you the fuller story. And he is the first one in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, you know, Matthew clearly was walking with Jesus. But what's curious is Mark was not mentioned in the disciples. And Mark is, if it's John Mark, which is what we're holding to, John Mark's a guy that failed in a a missionary journey with Paul, goes home to Jerusalem to spend some time with a guy named Peter. So it's my opinion that, and this feels like Peter. Yeah, it's my opinion that he's actually listening to Peter's stories over and over again, and goes, "These need to be written down." And either yeah. they go hire a scribe, or Mark is able to write, and we don't have any record of that. So it's very possible that he could read and write. And Mark says, "Peter, let me take what you've said and let me write it down in a gospel, uh, and, and you know, throw it all together in that way." Mm-hmm. Which is part of why this gospel is so unique. What one of the things that makes it really unique is you know, talking about structure like we did with Matthew, all these beautiful Greek, you know, chiasms and stuff. With Mark, it's very fast-paced. Like I said, it's almost like a movie. Uh, the word immediately is used a ton. And like I said, it, it feels like it's Peter's story given to us in written form. So you've got all these sources and all these individuals pulling these things together. And Mark is going, this is what I want people to know about what Jesus is and who he is. And then, I, like I said, I think I think Matthew then wrote his right after that and said, let me give you the fuller story. Here's yeah. some of my memories. And then I think Luke is taking all these eyewitness accounts, and we'll get to that in the next podcast. Uh, and then you've got John going, I was here. I had a totally different view of all this. Yeah. Let me blow you away, which we'll get to that at some point. Yeah, it's got his own element. Got a favorite story here? Uh, I, you know, I love the Syrophoenician woman and the deaf man in the Decapolis in Mark 7. Mm. One of the things I love about Mark is he spends a little more time setting the table as far as location goes than some of the others. Uh, there's moments where, you know, Matthew will say, this happened in Caesarea Philippi or this happened here or there. Mark is more thorough than you'd imagine him to be. And at the end of 7, he heals, you know, this woman, uh, her, her child who's not doing well. Uh, entire inside in, and then he turns from there and goes down back into the Decapolis where he just was. And you remember our podcast a few weeks ago when we didn't mark five, six, seven, and eight, and nine. That whole section uh, seven is sort of this key of he goes back to where the demon possessed man was and has this crazy moment where he spits and touches <laughs> the guy's ears with his fingers. Like I kind of imagine, you know, like him putting his thumbs in his ears and his pinkies in his mouth kind of thing. And you're like, why are you doing all this? Uh, it's just a crazy story and it's really fun and I, I like teaching it. I like working through it. It's just a good one for me. Yeah. What about you? What's a favorite passage? You know, that reverse. When story. we see the side of Jesus that's for the underdog, mm-hmm. I always like that. I mean, the healing of the woman and, and Jairus' daughter. I love that. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful section. But um, as I thought about it even more today, I, I'd have to go to chapter 12. Verse 41, I'll just read it quick. It's just a short, short section, but it's cool. He sat down op- opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box, where they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. What a cool moment. Awesome story, yeah. That's just, that's just one of those moments where they're, they're going, what? what is he saying? I mean, wait a minute. We've been idolizing these people who, you know, make this quite this demonstration when they give and they throw it in there so everybody can hear it. And 
are stunned by it. And here's this humble person just just doing her gut level best, sacrificially giving, and Jesus is going, yeah, that's that's it right there. It's a cool thing. And I've heard you teach that a number of times on all the years of student ministry that I either was under your wing or sitting by your side, you know, as an intern. You've you've taught that many times. It's always a helpful story to sort of regauge where we're at and what we're trying to think of. I've also heard you preach the blind Bartimaeus passage a bunch of times in in Mark ten. So I was interested that you didn't go with that one. Yeah. But you're, <laughs> I'm glad to trick you anytime <laughs> I can. But, I mean, some of my favorite lessons that I've ever heard you do are some of the ones that stick out. That yeah. blind, A couple of blind Bartimaeus lessons that you've done. The, the, the woman, the widow's mite is a big one. Um, you know, and there's a few others, but those are all from Mark. So I've always loved, like, when we're doing Myrtle Beach planning way back in the day, I knew we would always find our way to a story or two in Mark at some point with you. And I, I love that yeah. about it. So, but it, now that I think about it, it's really just because your name is the same <laughs> and you're, <laughs> you're just trying to pull it all together. I try to weave in the other gospels from time to time. <laughs> so we, we've got a, a weird ending here yeah. in chapter 16. And, and uh, I mean, let's just get right to it. I mean, talking about in Verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hand. They will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them. It will lay their hands on their sick, and they will recover. Um, but there's more that's kind of different here, some funky stuff going on. And and it, it's very likely that your Bible that you're looking at at home or wherever um, says right before verse 9, some of these earliest manuscripts do not include uh, verses 9 through 20, and they don't. And it's interesting. It's There's a lot of... Um, a lot spoken about why maybe this was like this. There seems to be this, you know, that there was this absence, almost like he he didn't finish the book, you know. So there's yeah. some different uh, theories uh, that he finished the gospel, but the original ending was lost or destroyed. Sure. There's That's not as good a one. If you think of the scroll concept, it would be the, the beginning that would likely be lost because right. the, the, the end would be rolled in. The, the safest part, if you will. Right. There's some theories about that. Or they finished the gospel, and and uh, for whatever reason, the ending was deliberately suppressed or removed. Right. Um, or he was unable to finish the gospel for some reason. Uh, maybe something happened. Maybe he died. Or, yeah. um, or he purposely intended to end it at, at chapter 8, and you know, others along the way thought, well, it, he meant to say this, but there definitely is some literary change. Yeah. Um, some of the, the verbiage seems to be different and uh, it, it makes for us, it makes an issue of, okay, what do we do with this? Right. So there's a, a famous scroll that the, the Vatican used in like 500 AD to say that Jesus had basically given land to the church and that's why the Roman government wasn't allowed to hold on to it. But this document starts with something along the lines of the lands of the Gauls and the Britons. And the and they name a bunch of people that Jesus wouldn't even have ever known or mentioned. <laughs> uh, so it's clearly it was a forgery in the 500 AD time frame. And so then this document has been used for decades and centuries, you know, saying this is why we have the stake on this land. Mark 16, 9 through 20 feels very much like that. So when you say there's a massive language change, in the Greek, it does not read the same as the rest of the book. 
Yeah. So then the question becomes, where does it come from? And some of us get a little nervous about that. And I understand why. There's every reason to get nervous because we believe this is the word of God. We believe this is inerrant. We believe that we need to trust God's word. And so then you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. If the earliest manuscripts don't have this, and if my Bible has a little paragraph before this section starts saying, I don't know if you should even yeah. follow this. And then you read like you just did. You know, we're not going to have a church service anytime soon where we release a bunch of poisonous snakes and then we're like, drink hey, this poison, hey, everybody. Mo- Moses threw his staff down. It became a snake. <laughs> and then he was instructed to pick it back up by the tail. It became a staff again. So maybe that's what maybe that's what's going on here. Yeah. God told him to do those things. I don't think God is ever going to show up to one of us and say, hey, Mark. Uh, you know, this, this, was, this is Palm Sunday this Sunday. I think it'd be a great show of faith if everybody who believes in me drinks some poison and those who die didn't believe, but those who do, they're clearly followers of me. But can you pick your poison? Do you have like arsenic? And <laughs> I'll pick Diet Pepsi. You know, like, so here's the thing. I, I know that we freak out a little bit and it's, it's totally understandable. Here's, here's the theory that I love the most. And if you, there's, a, there's a, uh, an amazing commentary called Mark as Story. Uh, I'll try to remember to put that in the the notes, although I don't ever know if anybody actually reads these things or if they just listen to the podcast. So it's kind of like a waste of time. But what his position is, and I think it's brilliant, is that Mark reads, remember how I said it's so fast paced, it's kind of quick. Yeah. He has made the case that there's actually a narrator part that you can follow the whole book. And so what his perspective is, and I think it's brilliant, is that this was written as a play. And what would have happened is somebody would have put on a production, so to speak. And so you've got someone playing Jesus. You've got a bunch of disciples. And each of them know their lines and do their things. But to reach Greeks, right, Gentiles, yeah. you want to go in an amphitheater. You want to sure. reach people for Jesus. Let's put on a play. And the way the play ends, listen to this, is they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. What a great end to a play. Yeah. And then imagine the lights go down, everybody scatters, and the the patron or whoever puts the play on steps up. You know, they didn't have spotlights, but just imagine a spotlight shining on the person. And that person says, they were afraid because they didn't know what happened. But we know the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. This Jesus of Nazareth has risen from the dead. He promises to be the son of God that he promised to be in here. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. What is your response to this man? And so he actually did an entire section in this book, Marcus' story, about what the narrator or the patron's response would have been at the end of the play, calling people in. But as the time goes on, that lack of ending would have caused some scribes to freak out a little bit. Yeah. And when you're reading Matthew, there's a really nice, neat ending on Matthew, right? Yep, put a bow on it. Luke has Luke 24, which I can't wait to talk about in our next podcast. But one of the great, you know, the road to Emmaus is one of the great chapters oh. in. Did in, not our hearts oh, burn within so us. So good, so yeah. good. So you've got that. you got a nice, neat ending there. You've got the John reinstatement of Peter, like yep. solid endings. All three of those gospels yep. have a solid ending. Mark doesn't have one. So whether it was a later scribe or somebody else who's like, ah, Mark needs a little more here. They cobble together a bunch of stuff and they just put it in their language, which doesn't match the rest of the book, and they tack it onto the back just to say, here's how the story really ended and here's what happened. Now, what's weird is that snake part and the poison part, and you're like, why in the world would they have put that? Where would that have come from? Sure. Maybe an island. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> a shipwreck. Yeah, a shipwreck. I think the shipwreck story with Paul, like we talked about with you know Acts year, a couple of years ago, I think that's probably in their mind. And I also think, uh, you know, it, you you brought up Moses a second ago. It's very possible that they're just making an Old Testament illusion here of you know grabbing the staff by the tail and it turns back into a staff kind of deal. Um, it's interesting. I I don't know. I I don't think the church should be practicing. <laughs> Although you know, there are churches that do. Uh, yeah, partly, <laughs> and 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 those that do typically are using this passage as their their tone. And I go probably not the best passage to use yeah. to determine how we're gonna you know do church life. So. So anyway, all that to say, if you're a little nervous about it, if you hear us say that and you go, whoa, 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 I don't like that at all, just understand the reason why that block is set apart the way it is is because it exists in none of the earliest manuscripts. I mean, none of them. It, uh, it suddenly starts to appear hundreds of years later. That has made scholars say, this seems to be added, yep. and it's yep. not even like people were being mean or you know trying to intentionally mislead you. They just said, we need to put an ending on the book, so we're going to go ahead and do that. And going back to what you mentioned, you know, where we talk about, hey, this is the word of God, you can trust it, and all that sort of thing. And if these, if if a statement like that makes you scared or whatever, when we talk about the inerrant word of God, uh, the only error can can come in the translation or sure. or in the copying of it, and, yep. and ha- you know, and that kind of thing. So that's that's really why that's there. It's going okay. Well, we're going to put this in here, but we're going to put it in with caution based based upon the fact that we're not convinced it was originally right. truly a, a marking section of that. It Rather, it was somebody maybe filling in the gap that they felt he left. Yeah. So back, you know, kind of the final point to that is, so we don't use this necessarily. Even when we preach through Mark, I don't think we're going to use this at all. We might make mention of it in the podcast a couple of times. But I, whenever I see a passage like this, I, I read it because it's in, it's in the Bible and it's helpful, but I don't hold it to the same standard that I would the rest yeah. of the whole book. So there's a couple passages like that. Uh, there's very few. We'll mention them when we get to them you know, in various places. I'm not willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The rest of the Bible is fantastic. This right. passage gives me a little bit of pause, but most of it's really good. It's yeah. not even, it's just those couple of verses that, or parts of that verse that makes me a little nervous, you know, the serpent and poison stuff, so. Yep, so that's Mark, Mark's favorite gospel. Indeed. Indeed.